Up round down, not like that, and welcome to Have Another Cuppa with me, Daisy Williams. My guest this week is the brilliant Jenny Bunt. She is a lawyer, originally from Cornwall, but she's been living and studying in Wales for the past eight years. She uh, studied law back in Swansea and is now completing her PhD, which is the bulk of our conversation today. It was really fascinating to sit down and talk to her, something really different um, that I didn't know a lot about before, and I hope you all enjoy. So I, when I finished my degree, I went home for two months to Cornwall and sort of flapped and tried to find any kind of job I could. <laughs> I painted loads of furniture. That was like my <laughs> hobby because I didn't like having nothing to do. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I just applied for anything I could find in law in Exeter, Bristol or Cardiff because mm. I thought far enough away but not yeah. like too far. Mm. And then I got a job in the city centre in Cardiff oh, nice. and I moved a few times. I had like I had three jobs in three years actually. Oh really? And then went back to uni. Mm. But yeah, Swansea, I don't really remember why I ended up there. I did an open day because I did English literature originally oh, okay. for about two weeks. Um, oh, and then you changed to law. completely. Oh, wow. Because I, um, I did law at A-level and I was like, I had this weird feeling, I don't know if it's just because you're like 19, but I was like, I'm not going to do something that is about a job. I'm going to do something mm. that I find really interesting. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going to do English literature and I'm going to be like this like... I'm going to be a writer. Hippie type, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I went there and they were like, we need you to read, it was like Huckleberry Finn or something mm. I had to read, which is not that long of a book, but I had to read it like six times by the next lecture. Oh my goodness. And then I had to do like a feminist perspective on Huckleberry Finn, it was like my essay, and I just thought, like, this isn't helping anyone, like, this no. is not going to achieve anything. No. So I was like, I need something that's going to make me a bit more like, when it's really boring, that I can see the point of it. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I'd like law at A-level, so I was like, right, I'll swap. And because I'd done it at A level, they weren't so worried that I'd missed a few weeks because yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of ca- I'd be able to catch up. Yeah. Well, the first two or three weeks of uni, you still settle in. Yeah, it's just it, like you know. induction stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, I just switched to law, and as long as it was good, it was like having lived in a really rural sort of mm. seaside place. It was like fairly similar with the gower mm. and everything, and it was quite self-contained. So, every, or like all of the everywhere you go out, all the bars was all in one place. And yeah. It felt quite like it was a bit of an adjustment. I think I, I think everyone goes to the uni and thinks they're just going to like seamlessly <laughs> float into a group of friends that they it's, and like yeah, and it's going to be like a, an in-betweeners montage <laughs> <laughs> and it's just be like the best time ever and I got there and I was a bit like oh actually I'm really like used to living in Cornwall yeah I was going to say how was it, how difficult was it moving to Swansea I turned I, I laugh now because I like turned up I was wearing like a green top and like an amulet around my neck an amulet yeah like, like it was like like amber with like a fly or something okay. in it like you get from like the natural history museum <laughs> like that's how that was your countryside image. i was oh really and everyone oh, was like who, who the hell is this <laughs> um and my mum and dad came up with me for like the first few days mm. and i kind of had like i guess it was like a panic attack and i just because i just kind of it dawned on me that it wasn't going to be as like easy as no. i thought even though there wasn't anything specific that was like bugging me yeah and then <laughs> I went back and slept in halls and then the next morning my mum and dad were going to pick me up and I woke up at four in the morning and I went and climbed a tree in in the woods <laughs> okay <laughs> because I was so stressed out <laughs> like not I'm very not, hard I'm just I'm just trying to picture I'm in bed <laughs> I wake up and I think I can't cope with this ooh a tree I'm trying to I get know. that thought process it, there, there is no logic so like you can't find any logic and I don't even I genuinely I think this is how panicked I was like I can't even remember why 
but I was just killing time or something because I knew my mum and dad weren't going to be there uh, for a few hours. Okay. And then, like, months later when I'd, like, realised that uni was the best thing ever and I'd, like, settled in, mm. I told my housemates about it and they just, like, I never lived it down. They kept drawing pictures of oh. me in, like, trees <laughs> and stuff. So there were lots of big shocks to me because I, I did realise how sheltered I was in Cornwall. Mm. Um, so there were, yeah, it was a lot of um, adjustment, but then I... It was like an overnight thing that I was like, actually, I love it here. Oh really? It, was it that went soon? really switched, and yeah. I was like, I think I think it was. I remember like, we were all the people in my halls were going to like stay up and watch a film, and I was mm. like, I could just do, it. and I just kind of realised like I could just stay up and watch films if I want to, yeah. and like, and I was like, well, it would be silly not to do this. And I remember my dad was like, you can come home if you want to, um, but nothing ever changes at home. Like you'll drive down the road and yeah. everything will be the same, mm. which was really good advice because. He he wasn't he made me feel like I could so I wasn't yeah. frightened I, that I had no option mm. but like he was quite honest about the fact that I would have so many more opportunities if I did stay and yeah. did something different mm. so yeah it was a weird adjustment and then when I went when I left Swansea which is Cardiff it was like kind of another gateway I guess because yeah. I love Cardiff so much now and I wouldn't live in Swansea again I don't think no because Cardiff's such a different city yeah. I think I say Swansea does feel like a very small city to yeah. me after living in Cardiff and I'm sure if I lived in London I'd look back and yeah. go oh my gosh Cardiff like is so small yeah. you know, it's just that sort of development isn't it um, yeah so that's why I'm still laughing at you climbing the tree <laughs> um, I still haven't moved on from that fact like if you anyway, told a doctor that they'd be quite worried wouldn't they? I, yeah I'm a bit scared actually I think, um, maybe I've we should end the podcast too and run away yeah so then you moved to Cardiff yeah. Um, and that was after you finished your degree? Yeah, so... You to Cardiff? Yeah. Oh, you said you went home for... For the summer I went home, summer, and I yeah. moved up here. I moved up here in September and did a spare room house share with oh, these two yeah. girls. One was from um, the area, and then one was moving to Cardiff. And I'd never met them, but we just, like, signed a lease together mm. because I was just really desperate to start the job. Yeah. But then it wasn't... The house got... The, the flat we were renting got delayed, so I ended up living in hostel in the embankment oh, really? for like a week of all of my stuff in my car oh my goodness but I had to start this job in like this big corporate law, law firm having like slept in a bunk bed in the <laughs> in the backpackers <gasps> hostel thing oh my goodness so that was an ideal but then we lived three of us lived together for the first year because we were all sort of like mm. professional jobs I guess and um that was fine it was just worked quite well and then I moved to another house share the year after which was the one with all the books with another oh, yes. girls so they sort of like live with a midwife and yeah. some of them work for like British gov- like the government mm. and yeah so we just lived in this guy's massive house mm. basically um, and it's always quite informal but it worked quite well because we we're all yeah. girls and that was quite that's quite nice actually because you you get your sort of your independence having your own mm. space but then in the evenings you could just like sit and watch rubbish TV yeah. together and it was quite I would never want to live on my own no. so that's quite nice um, and then yeah so that was. I worked for three years and mm. then went back to uni 2017. Yeah. To the masters, yeah. So I suppose another thing as well, how did you find moving to a different country? I know it's only England to Wales, mm. but culturally, was mm. that a big shock or was it not as different as, um, you know, I, I don't know? Because I've never now, lived in England. So I've lived here for eight years now in, mm. in Wales. And I think only in the last, weirdly, I think from, so I started learning Welsh yeah, in the last two Welsh, years. Yeah. And I think from learning Welsh, even though you don't hit, you don't sort of day to day come across a lot of Welsh speaking, no. I do think learning Welsh has made me notice more of the sort of Welshisms. Ah, okay. And I think it did take a long, it took a while for me to sort of get the culture of Wales. Yeah. 
and I do think now I'm seeing it more and like I've sort of become more comfortable with it now. But I don't think there was any a kind of shock because no. I think there's a lot of similarities between the kind of yeah. like I think everyone in Wales is very pretty laid back, very sort of proud of Wales, mm. and I think that's the same in Cornwall. Like it's a it's a slower pace of life yeah. than living in like London or something. Mm. But yeah, I think from learning Welsh. I get like the more of the traditions like poetry and like the yeah. and things like that. I get more of the like history of Wales, mm. and I get from that I see why there's such a like national pride because it's got a lot of its own things mm. that are really specific to Wales. So, but yeah, from I think yeah. from learning the language, that's yeah, made I've... me realise it more. Because I remember once we went to there's waterfalls in Brecon, yeah, and there's a pub right at the beginning of the walk. I can't remember the name of the pub. It's only really small, mm. and outside was Max Boyce. And Calvin Jones yes. having a pint, and me and Drew yes. like just watching like that is the Welshest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, I get who they are now, and like I get because yeah, Max Boyce is like the equivalent of there's like Jeffro who's like oh, in the okay. side, well, like the whole of the Southwest really. He's just yeah. basically like a little bit outdated now, like a little bit filthy jokes, but oh, like, really? like just like kind of an institution it, yeah. of, of like yeah. that kind of place. So yeah, like, I get that more now, and. Mm. I think I would go nuts if I saw Karen Jones and Max Boyce yeah. sitting outside a pub. <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah. When I was in Swansea, I don't think I was that much in... I think you're just in student culture then, so you don't yeah, really yeah. wander around like I would now. Mm. And you don't go to the same... You go to student pubs, whereas now we go to, like, Sir Canton. It's full of, like, Welsh speakers, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. Poncana, so... Oh, we just it a lot more. Yeah, I just moved to Grangetown, and we go to the Grange all the time. Yeah. And honestly, it's just loads of Welsh our Welsh-speaking friends. Yeah. We see them all the time. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So much it's, like, it's a little club, though, isn't it? And it I always, is. I start to feel, like, a little bit jealous now because I went to a gig mm. in the church in Canton. Mm. I can't remember what it's called. It's, like, a Welsh-speaking church. And basically, I was the only person in the room that wasn't a Welsh-speaker. And, oh, really? And, like, it was, it was really nice because I was seeing people, like... Because, you know, at Christmas, obviously, you see you tend to go to more things and see people that you might not see mm. all year, like people's uncles and grandparents. Yeah, and everyone yeah. was, like, greeting each other in Welsh. And it was, like... I was trying to explain it to do like it was, it was like they were just really enjoying speaking mm. a language which is just it's bizarre to me because like, yeah. I don't have a second language but you don't ever think about enjoying the language mm. you're speaking but they were like it was like a hobby yeah. almost that they were like oh we get a chance to speak Welsh now yeah. and it's really and I just felt really I felt really jealous mm. actually of not having that like added bit of identity mm. so yeah, so then, so you did your MSc, mm-hmm. um, and like I said, that was a bit more about the research yeah. and um, interviewing and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, a bit more generic. Yeah. Sort of thing, as well as law. And then you went on to do your PhD, which is what you're doing now. Yeah. And your, correct me if I'm wrong, your research, so I'll let you tell me what your research project okay. is. That's I, always good, it's good, it's a good task for me, because I'm basically... How would you summarise it, yeah? Yeah, it's hard to, t- it get. I should get better at summing it up as I go along, really. Um, so, yeah, so I started that in October, and it's basically looking at... Um, so, in comparison with something like if you went to a bank and got a loan, um, the way in which, if you didn't pay it off, there's a certain sort of regulation of how the bank is allowed to chase mm. you for that money. So I'm looking at public debts, which are things like council tax. Yeah. So the local authority are responsible for getting in as much council tax as they can, and that mm. obviously funds things like... Um, all just generic generic community things like um, waste collection, schools, mm. transport, basically everything. Yeah. I think that's quite an issue, people not really knowing what the council tax pays for. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know what I thought it paid for, but I, 
I don't know. So but, if, yeah. if you live in Cardiff, you probably get the best deal compared to someone that lives in like rural North Wales. Oh because really? We have streetlights, everything like that, and yeah. more of like infrastructure that mm. it pays for. But yeah, basically most things, it in the community will pay for. Um, so they need to get as much in as possible. So I'm looking at how they collect council tax from people who've fallen behind, mm. and specifically until recently at the very sort of end of the road if you really have refused to pay or mm. you've sort of not addressed things that they can send you to prison i know i saw that so they can send from 1992 to 2019 so april yeah. 2019 this year as like the last resort yeah was you got sent to prison for up to three months and that's yeah. for not paying your t- council tax obviously i would imagine that would be for quite a substantial amount of time yeah you know so it's not just can... miss a month oh going to jail but you well, know. it's it's probably a short amount of time than you think, and there, really? there are things they have to go through. So, they'll try and get you to pay it in lots of other ways, and then the last thing they'll do before considering prison is send a bailiff to your house. Right. So that's something that also gets a lot of criticism, mm. and I'll be looking at. Um, but they have to have tried to send a bailiff to your house, yeah. And they have to have been unsuccessful. So basically, if they go to your house, they can take if if you don't have any cash, they can take things in your house, yeah. and sell them at auction to pay the debt. But there's exclusions for anything. That's absolutely essential. So, any yeah. clothing. Yeah. So, it's like TVs, like non essential yeah. kind of. And they wouldn't yeah. take anything that's not really worth selling. They'll probably normally target like cars and things. Yeah. But if they go to your house and they can't recover anything for whatever reason, they then the local authorities then allowed to go to the magistrate's court mm. and ask for you to be sent to prison. And I'm looking at sort of why is it that we've got to this point that we still think that, because it's a civil issue. Yeah. So, one, one whole area of law looking at things like breach of contract and personal injury civil law which is using a criminal law sanction so sending them to prison so it's a real merging of two completely normally completely distinct areas of law um and council tax is something you don't have any choice in paying so it's not like you racked up lots of catalogue debt or something like that you never had any choice to pay it it's really expensive and it's going up every year and normally by the time someone gets to court and the, the possibility is them going to prison up until that point, the local authority don't know anything about that person yeah, or why they've fallen yeah. behind. So there's loads of... I mean, people in debt these days, It's there's so many complex sort of motivators mm. for that debt. So relationship breakdown yeah. or having responsibilities for lots of children or um, being ill, losing your job, mm. all sorts of things. So I think it's a lot of the time it's... They've gotten to that point because they've just thought, if I ignore it, it'll go away. Yeah, but and it doesn't. Yeah. If that's not in their interest. If you... T- mm. I think one thing that should come from this is that if you can just communicate your circumstances hopefully the local authority mm. will take that into account but if they don't know anything about you they're kind of their hand is forced to just push yeah. you through the system and yeah eventually if the court think that you've not dealt with it there's like a legal mm. test they have to apply but a lot of the people that it's, it's small numbers that get sent to prison so it's about 20 in wales a year but 20 st- you know it's I small but then it's still a lot but it's still a lot for what it is yeah Do you know what i mean like three months okay so this is america but that kid who raped a student yeah. last year got yeah. sent away for six months yeah and you're just like council tax rape it yeah. just does and it's a three months i don't know it just seems i suppose there's that thing of well there comes to a point then it is the last resort what yeah. else can you do like yeah. they've got no assets da, 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 da. but also like you said there's so many circumstances people are under like yeah. like you said illness yeah. and or, you or a know, combination of yeah, several you know. things yeah and the people that end up so there's a quite a like a case that had quite a lot of publicity that was mm. in bridge end about a woman that was sent to prison and a lot of the time it, it can be women that are sort of disproportionately affected because 
if you're in a relationship and then your partner leaves the home, right. they don't go look at if, if that person's no longer resident. It's just your responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And also, you you can get discounts, but it's still going to be a big amount to pay. Mm. But what then happens ends up happening is women get sent to prison who have children and then their children get put into care. Yeah. So like the repercussions mm. are just enormous. I mean, if your children go into care, you're always going to be... Mm under the observation of the yeah. authority so it's and it's kind of counterproductive because if you go to prison your debt gets written off yeah so they don't actually by going through this process the mm. council don't get the money that they're yeah. looking for they it's it's like there's a lot of a lot of it is just being a deterrent to others to yeah. not to pay but like you said was the case in america that if you look at just sort of the basic justifications for prison the the one that's always kind of you can't really argue with is protecting people from harm yeah, but these people are not in any way dangerous to anyone. It's just a financial issue. Yeah. So, locking I, them up and taking their liberty is just disproportionate mm. and doesn't solve the problem. If anything, makes it worse because they might have been working a little bit and then yeah. they've lost any job that they did have. Mm. So, so your research then, mm. what is the aim? What's it go? What are you hoping it's going to show? Mm. Is there an outcome from it? Are you hoping there'll be a change in this policy? or Because obviously that's not in place now because it yeah. finished in April 2019. Yeah. So has that affected your research? Because obviously when you started this in October, yeah. that was Situation the policy was in place. So originally I was looking at specifically at bailiffs, mm. but this the they did a public consultation about whether to get rid of committal and that was happening just as I started my PhD. So I, me and my supervisors agreed to, to change focus to mm. look at that because with law, I think it's always, you're always hoping that you're going to do a piece of research and someone in government will pick it up and use mm. it. Even if it's just to discuss it in parliament or something, that would be like a brilliant mm. outcome. So if you can make something that's really timely and current, mm. you've just got much more of a chance of it being picked yeah. up and something being done with it. So the Bayless thing is something that a lot of people have looked at, or a lot of charities have looked at before. So I sort of thought, I'm going to look at something a bit that's really sort of happened really recently and is on the agenda at the moment mm. and hopefully I mean it's it's a difficult because a lot of the time if you say you're researching things people will say well what's the solution and it's kind of like it would be great if I could come up with a solution yeah but I think what needs to be happen what needs to happen is just the balance between because what's at the heart of it is you can't blame the local authority because they're trying to get money for the yeah. community so you've got to sort of be sympathetic and there's so much pressure on them with all the budget cuts yeah. and everything. But equally, they need to be more and more aware of the actual risk of harm to people mm. who are struggling and people are struggling more and more these mm. days for more complex reasons. So that if I could just make sure that that balance is applied consistently across mm. Wales, because the problems with Wales is it's small and there's only 22 local authorities but they tend to all take a really different approach. Yeah, all the local authorities are quite varied in yeah. the amount of people in each authority yeah. and how spread apart people are yeah. and how rural it is, or you know. Yeah, because there was something until recently. If you were a care leaver, um, you were exempt from paying council tax until right, you were twenty-five, okay. and that was something that was they were doing in about nine of the local mm. authorities just off their own back, and then they, they, the Welsh government have made it so that they all have to do that. So right, it's a statutory okay. duty. But so that basically meant that if you were a care leaver in, say, Wrexham, mm. you might have had to not pay it, say, from 16 to 25, but yeah. in the next kind, next local authority area, you would have to pay it. Yeah. So it's like a postcode lottery. So there's like a there's a good relationship between the local government mm. and the Welsh government, but it, there's also an acceptance of lots of variation yeah, across Wales. Yeah. So I'd like to look at making things a bit more standardised so yeah. that you know that everyone's paying as much attention mm. to people's welfare as the other well it's like the whole tv license thing now they've decided to change yeah it so 
pensioners have to pay for their TV license. I wonder how that's going to have an effect. Yeah. Whether pensioners will pay their TV license, whether we're going to start sending pensioners to prison. I know. <laughs> but it's weird, not, isn't it? Cause it's seen... not funny, but it is, you know, it's... With... But there are things that, on the face of it, like TV license counts, like, you think, if you think of them just on their own, mm. they're so dull and they're so every day. Yeah. But if you unpick, like, what's at the core of them, like, with something like TV license, that is a really political decision. Mm. And, like, so my area the sort of school of research I'm in is socio-legal so it's looking at the law and also how it plays out in social right. situations so what I want to look at is this catch tax and everyone knows they've got to pay it and it's this boring thing but actually the way that we've made decisions about how it's okay to mm. collect that money have a huge social impact yeah so it's like trying to dig into issues that mm. are normally really sort of brushed over and aren't mm. forever front page news mm. but think about how they even if it's 20 people a year like how that actually played out and why we got to that point mm. so yeah that's kind of the general area of it yeah it is you know it is really interesting though because you just like you said it does feel so extreme for what it is yeah you know and you know you, you mentioned earlier as well obviously there's private debt yeah and public debt public, yeah thank you i couldn't remember yeah. the other word i was like eh. so private and public you know there's all these shows like can't pay we'll take it away yeah. sort of thing which i absolutely hate because you know, you're just seeing people at it's the poverty worst. Point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, just to say that as an example, for I always usually don't always tell you why they're collecting mm. or they go into somebody's house where they send a bailiffs. But I've always imagined that that was for I don't know borrowing money off a rude twenty-four hour loan. Yeah, like, like you Wonga know, or something. Like yeah, Wonga yeah. or something. Yeah. I always imagined it was for stuff like that, mm. um, and people have got into ridiculous amounts of debt. I don't. I just imagined bigger numbers for like a longer amounts of time. How long would it take to get to that point? Do you think for? I think that's something I wanted to look at, look at because I don't have any sort of specific. But mm. I get the feeling that if you ignored everything, it could be sort of a space of a year. Yeah. And the average amount that they're looking for when you get to the quintal stage is about two thousand pounds. So it's not right. Because I think I've had a look at how much couch tax sort of sort of in reality costs people, mm. and I know for for our house we don't pay because of students, which is kind of ironic because I'm like looking at houses. Yeah, but ours would be like fourteen hundred pounds a year. Yeah, so it's only the space of that, a year yeah. and a bit's liability. Mm. And then the horrible thing with couch tax as well is that, say you take out a loan of a thousand pounds. You can think, well, if I pay £100 a month, that's gone in 10 months, and there's always an end to it. Whereas council tax, you might have had a really bad year and mm. not paid anything last year, and it's still rolling, you're yeah, still accruing yeah. new debt. So yeah. it's one of those things it's almost impossible to get on top of. Mm. And I think for that reason, councils need to think more about just writing things off, yeah. and, because they, they do have the discretion to do that. And obviously, there's pressure on them to get in yeah. as much money as possible, but sometimes, just to be realistic, if you don't yeah. give people a chance to sort of catch up... They're yeah, just going to get worse and they'll stop borrowing from family members and that creates mm. more stress. And Well, like you said, there was a woman, that woman in Swansea, was it? In Bridgend, oh, yeah. sorry. Well, if she, she went to prison for three months. Yeah. Her kids, did you say she, her kids got taken into care or have I made this up? Yeah, well, she, a lot of them, they'll be sentenced to up to three months, but they'll immediately appeal and right. then they'll get granted bail. So, right. like, in reality, a lot of them won't serve their that full time. sentence but, but obviously if, if it's one day where no one's looking after your children there's the rest that's that, still, yeah, yeah. yeah but like you know like I said say now somebody did okay the worst went to prison for three months it was a mother mm. oh, I don't know three kids well how much is that costing the council exactly, to yeah. have those kids in care yeah and the, all the psychological stuff to go with that as well yeah. 
but it probably is costing them ten times, if not more, the yeah. amount than that council tax bill was owed. And to have someone in prison. And to have, yeah, and to pay for prison someone in prison. Prison place is so expensive. It does seem, to me anyway, it does seem ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting actually to have a conversation with somebody from the other point of view of the council. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to do really. Is, so I'm going to be doing interviews next year with people who work in the council tax oh, teams okay, yeah. to look at sort of um, their views on it. Why? Because I sort of suspect that actually they work in an office, they've got like a case management system and people just get pushed for it. They yeah. don't have a huge amount of like, I'm going to dis- personally decide no, to apply no. to put this person in prison. Um, to sort of understand the pressures they're under because if you can understand those pressures you can then think about how you can alleviate some of those things so they don't have to be forced yeah, to push people through yeah. that system and then they've got more room to know more about mm. circumstances so there's quite a lot of potential stuff happening with because the council's also in theory got access to a lot of information about people so mm. if you're if you're living in sort of a family situation where the dad's supposed to be paying child maintenance but he's not paying yeah. it somewhere within the council system that, that will be, be yeah it's just whether we decide that we should let the council see that mm. in the interest of knowing why that mother isn't paying a council yeah, because she's not yeah. getting any money from the mm. father so there's lots of ways that you can change how we do things mm. to mean that they've got that information and then they can make a decision but if they know nothing about you yeah they just tend to assume that you're just trying to get out of it mm. and there's a lot of sort of overthrow from so like the poll tax in the 90s that mm. margaret thatcher brought in Lots of people, because they changed the way that that you, they decided how much people had to pay, there was obviously like riots and stuff about it, and people just didn't pay on principle. Right. And in quite big numbers. And I think that was only sort of 20 years ago. And I think there's a feeling that people still pay don't pay on principle, but I don't think mm. that is... I think that's probably in a very small amount mm. of cases, but nowhere near as many as they think. And I think they're trying to... It's a deterrent thing yeah. to try and, try and say, well... This is this horrible sanction that we've got. Yeah, as much as it is a deterrent, though, if you can't pay it, there's little you can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think if you're in that situation, it's not like you can magically come up with the money because you've changed your mind. Oh, actually, I am going to... Yeah. You know what I mean? It's... And if you've got nothing in your house, to me, that's a big red flag. Yeah. If they can't they've... sell something in your house, well, and we've got our clothes, we've got a bit of food yeah. in the fridge, or probably no food at all, the amount of yeah. food bank numbers exactly. have gone up so much yeah yeah it's a big sign isn't it yeah and it, I, I guess like in theory someone could sell all of their stuff to avoid because they know the bailiff's coming around but how many people are actually going to go to that extent like yeah. i think it's yeah. more likely that they're actually just pretty much destitute yeah because there's a really interesting research about things like you know that it kind of feeds into the can't pay or take it away stuff where like mm. there's all those like benefit street programs yeah, where yeah. people will say like all oh, these people are on benefits and they're buying big flat screen tvs yeah. and actually like if you think about if you've got children and you yeah. don't have a tv you think how much of a jimmy most people have got TVs. and it's this it's it's a it's a symbol of normality and it's yeah. a symbol to your kids that everything's fine even yeah. if everything is absolutely not fine yeah. so really I think it's awful to judge people that make that kind of decision when mm. if you looked at sort of people in much more like middle class affluent families they probably make really stupid decisions with their money but no one ever yeah. judges them yeah they don't get judged for going out for a nice fancy meal yeah buying a yeah going to a Michelin star restaurant which yeah. is, is completely overpriced it's there's yeah. this like surveillance of people that mm. that sort of dare to expect something mm. from the state and I, and I just think that, that there's a like a bigger thing in this of how we treat people in debt and that we criminalise them like that yeah. it's 
And then they're afraid of being set. Because if you've got a criminal record, yeah. I don't know, but probably less likely to get hired places yeah. or get to a certain level of job. Yeah. Which is just, yeah, it's, it's just, just counterproductive yeah. in every sense. So, yeah, it's quite an interesting area. So is this only a law in Wales, though, or is it a UK-wide...? So it so the council tax is devolved issue for Wales, mm-hmm. but this is a change to the law from pre-devolution, so it, it's, you can still go to prison in England. Right, you can still go to prison yeah. for it. Yeah, and there's a, there's a barrister at the moment who's doing a petition mm. to have it heard in Parliament to remove it in England, yeah. but I, don't, I think it will be... Because there's, there's 22 local authorities in Wales, but mm. there's hundreds in England. Yeah. Um, and Wales have been quite good in terms of so they got rid of council tax benefit which would right. help people on like the lower incomes they got rid of that in England but they retained a version of it in Wales right, so okay. Wales is actually quite a good case study for a good approach mm. or a, a better approach, yeah an intention maybe. to make things because Mark Drakeford when he was the um, cabinet minister for finance he made council tax one of his like, main pledges mm. to make it fairer um, so yeah it's quite an interesting it's a good Wales is a good manageable case study mm. because you don't get anywhere near as much sort of variation as England but it's also good in that I feel like things are changing for the better mm. while I'm doing my research yeah so why did you choose that specific well I, pl- I applied for so is it part of your course or like yeah so PhDs are vary quite a lot in that mm. some people will put together a proposal and submit it and then the university will say, well, we like your proposal, mm. but we need to get funding. Right. Okay. Whereas mine was a situation that my supervisor, one, she had an idea for a project, mm. she got it funded, and then and then they put it out for application, so I cool. applied for it already pre-planned. Cool. But it's already changed quite a bit from mm. the original one, so you yeah. get sort of scope to make it your own. Because mm. I'd applied for quite a few other ones, because I'm just quite interested in just most areas of law. I mean, there's yeah. some things like corporate law that I'm not that fussed on, but... I find most areas of law really interesting, mm. so I'm not one of those people. Some people you meet doing a PhD will say, "Oh, it's my burning desire since <laughs> I was born to look at like divorce law or something." Yeah. And I've like never really been in that camp because no. I just find most things I find, and I, if I can find sort of like a a personal interest, mm. public interesting in, at yeah. the heart of it, then it, it's always going to be motivating because you think you can actually, especially things like this. Like I really like areas of law that affect kind of the every man. I was going to say it is a very it's on a sort of community level yeah. and rather than like it, crime is really interesting and it's like gla- yeah. kind of glamorous I guess and people love like true crime stuff at mm. the moment don't they but it it doesn't affect that Every many people yeah, yeah yeah whereas things so I used to do employment law because mm. things like losing like getting me redundant or just someone messing mm. up your wages like those are tiny things that are pretty easy to resolve yeah most of the time but have a huge impact on your life yeah, yeah. and it affects most people at some point mm. in that point of life so I like things that are kind of based on and I also like I'm really interested in how the law interacts with people's homes and how much we sort mm-hmm. of regulate people's homes or how much we expect them to look after themselves yeah. and stuff like that so like there's loads of sociology stuff in it that I'm really interested in I've kind of like it could have gone the other way I could have gotten really bored of it but as I go on I find yeah. it more and more interesting which is quite nice mm. I am terrified about money though because all, all I read about all day is people in horrible oh, debt in horrible debt <laughs> watching the pennies like a hawk but in some ways I'm like it makes me like actually it's sad that people have to worry about it so much so yeah. I'm just going to be like I'm not going to beat myself up because no. I think it's mm. it's a choice we make as a society to be like everyone has to pay yeah. every penny like and it really harms people so and yeah yeah because you know you do think okay 
I mean, both you and me live in a two-adult household yeah. kind of things. So you've got two incomes or, you know, whatever yeah. coming in. Like I said, a single parent, or even if you're just a single person. I know there's single-person discount on council yeah. tax and stuff like that, but still, it's still quite a lot of money. It's yeah. not like half, it's something like 75%, isn't it, or something? Or yeah, you get 25% off. Yeah. yeah. So you still pay 75%, so it's still over half. You're still paying 25% more than you would if there were two of you living yeah. in the property. And, you know, if you're the only income person bringing income in and you've got children, or... It just could be anything, couldn't yeah, it? Yeah, and or it's really... It's, quite, it's or, ableist as well. Like, if you've got yeah. disabilities or long... And a lot of the time, like... So I did this before about how they... When they're doing this, how do they... How would they define vulnerability? Yeah. Because they, they are supposed to make sort of additional provisions. Yeah. And a lot of the time it would be someone who had... Like, say you had a chronic condition, something mm. like fibromyalgia or something where you might have a really good month and then you might have a dreadful mm. month but there's always going to be a risk of you being ill yeah that was kind of they didn't really see that as vulnerability right. because they were like well you can work sometimes you can't work sometimes yeah it was not a consistent yeah and it was kind of thing. a well how can we i guess it, we'd always be giving them support mm-hmm. like or regularly giving them support and that seemed too much whereas things like someone who's just like otherwise fit and healthy and then i don't know has like a short term illness and then it's fine again they would be supportive of them yeah. because it's like they could see the edges of they see the, the support they're going to have to give them yeah. but like that isn't the reality of life yeah. there's loads of people that live with things that, and like when I was in employment there's loads of people that have like um, chronic things like um, what's it called like Crohn's disease or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah, yeah. and like you'd just be amazed that they were even getting up and going to work yeah. every day like the amount they have to deal with just to get to work and they still yeah. want to work and they still want to do what they can and they just mm. all of their energy goes into being well and then you just you don't support them when no. things I just think it's really sad yeah and like you know because arguably that person who's had like a bad two months because of whatever yeah is arguably going to be able to get out of that situation yeah, more savings, than the person yeah. who is like you said had got Crohn's or whatever yeah. and is not constantly ill but has better you know yeah better days bad day, you know so yeah arguably shouldn't not shouldn't support that person who's no. for two months but they but need less, less help yeah less yeah. vulnerable than those people who are yeah got a lifelong illness that's never gonna go away yeah oh my gosh this made me a bit depressed i know it's a bit this is why i have to like watch something i was gonna say airy, i have to come over just evening. check you're okay yeah check. <laughs> i watch a lot of like cooking programs to switch on oh no it, yeah has your viewpoint over the last nine months, nine-ish months, mm. changed at all since you first chose the subject? Mm. Um, I know you haven't finished it yet, so obviously you still have a long way to go yeah. in that, but has anything dramatically shifted in your perspective? Um, I wouldn't say it's dramatically shifted. I think I've just might... I don't know, it's a, it's a really difficult subject because mm. it is a really political thing, and it's, yeah. as a researcher, like I need to keep some sort of objectivity and not put my own views on it. Mm. But it certainly has made my own views stronger in terms of just... And you not, you just notice things more about, like, on the news, just about, in general, how we... There's, like, this just constant expectation that everyone's going to get on and everyone's mm. going to work. And and just a, a, just a complete ignoring of mm. people that aren't able to live up to that expectation. Yeah. And that, that, especially like what you said about food banks and things, like... And the government just pretend it isn't happening, and yeah. like there's a real like this rhetoric of that. Oh no, Britain's a really prosperous place, and Britain's a place where you can get on if you want mm. to get on. Like this, it's all just comes from Thatcher, really. But yeah, I just <laughs> it made it's made me more and more like a wanting 
to protect the welfare state yeah. and protect things that are there as a backup for people. Mm. And I don't know, I don't think... I think I've just... It's a really... There's two sides to it because obviously I don't want to be critical of councils because they're doing absolutely the best they can. Yeah. And I don't want to say that... I also don't want to say that, like, brand the people in debt as trying to get out of things not because BS. that's not the reality of it. So It's not painting everybody with the same brush. Yeah. It's, like you said, the people who are working in the council probably dealing with this probably don't have the power to change the policy. No. It's going higher up. Yeah. Because, they, you know, like you said, they're just following sort of procedure. Yeah. Um, And that's just what they've got to do at the end of and the day. And it's what they do every day, so yeah. they're quite desensitised to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Yes, it's difficult then, isn't it? So, how do you how do you start a research project like this? Mm. Um, lots of reading, really. Is that the first, the first few kind months? Of step? Yeah, I just read really broadly about just sort of debt collection. Yeah. So even stuff in different countries, um, and lots of stuff from other fields like sociology. Yeah. There's even stuff in geography about oh. how people are sort of evicted and displaced and moved oh, around. That's interesting. So I kind of read really broadly and then thought, mm. oh god. It's like I've got no direction. So then I, when the law changed, mm. I kind of drew a line in the sand and tried to make my project much more concise because you've got to get it done in the three years. Yes. So it's kind of, it, it, on one hand, people are like, oh, it's a PhD and it's got to be this like original contribution to knowledge. Mm. It's like the main test they apply. But then also when you get guidance, they're like, it's they like it's just a PhD. It's it's a mm. it's a way of getting that qualification which opens up other things. Yeah. So like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's a when you when you submit it. It's a pass-fail. Right, okay. You don't get distinction or anything. Yeah. You just have to submit it, and then you have a viva, which is where they basically orally um, test you on it. Mm. So they'll say, why have you chosen this <gasps> method? And oh, my goodness. Why did you not look at this literature and stuff? Mm. Um, and as long as you can like justify all of your decisions, they'll say like you've passed, or they'll say you've passed with corrections, and you get a few more months to just make some tweaks. Oh, that's good. Oh, so it's not sort of be all and end all once you submit it no like you really just need to you just show that it's an original yeah. contribution to knowledge and that it's like of a certain standard mm. but it's not a lot of people will spend months like not wanting to hand it in because they don't think it's just perfect yeah, yeah. but really it's just a case of getting getting that done and then moving on because once you do that it's like you've got to apply for jobs again yeah because so. if you get that sort of pass with corrections yeah that's good because that sort of pass fail is quite scary like a scary yeah. thing to do but Oh, that's good to know that there's that opportunity to yeah. develop it a little bit more. You normally get, like, six months if they think maybe just, like, your structure needs changing. Yeah. And then you can just resubmit, and then you get your doctor title. Mm. But, yeah, so it's... um, It's exciting. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I've got to make it something that I can actually get done in three years. Yeah. Which I think it is now. But another really exciting thing, though, is you've been featured in a book yeah some of your research yeah so i've got the book launch on monday actually. <gasps> is it on monday yeah oh, just so it's the book is problems of debt explorations of life love and finance am yeah. i right yeah <laughs> yeah so it's a book chapter a short one um so that's, that's so cool though yeah i'm really excited about so it. how did that come about so i go well i've been going to quite a few academic conferences mm. um and one I went to in London was called Rich Law, Poor Law. So it looks at how okay. all different kinds of law um, kind of have different out- mm. outcomes depending on how much money you have. And there was a, a guy from Bristol that was going to that. And before you go, they give you the sort of the itinerary. And I saw that he was looking at attachment of earnings orders, mm-hmm. which is where before you get to sort of bailiff stage, if you are working, you can decide to pay your kind of tax through deductions from your salary. Oh, okay. 
which is like a really good way of doing it mm. for a lot of people like this sorts a lot of people out and he was looking at that so I was like oh, I'll email him and just say oh, I look forward to speaking at the conference and then he couldn't go but he said I told him about my project and he said um I'm writing putting together mm. this collection of of things about debt generally um would you like to contribute so I just wrote something up and he was quite pleased with it mm. and then yeah so it's just one of this I my supervisor always says like oh you're quite good at sort of doing the sort of engagement side of things but I've just tend to, tend to find that if you just are nice to people by email they, they're them, really yeah. receptive especially because they're like me they sit on their own all day reading yeah. about debt so it's oh like, an email from yeah, somebody oh. it's really nice to have like a bit that bit of community yeah. so um, yeah he was just I think he was looking for additional mm. people because there's about I think it's about nine or ten different contributors and they were yeah. having like a, a round table launch mm. thing on Monday and there's going to be some expert speakers and stuff oh, amazing but yeah it's really nice that's really exciting that's I think that's such a big thing though to be recognised like you said alongside other people yeah who are doing similar work yeah um, that's going to be so interesting you'll yeah. have to let me know how it goes Monday but again it's weird because I, I, I'm like it's all been printed now and I'm read- I don't want to read it because I'm like I'm going to find Did something wrong with it. Yeah. It or- oh, I'm so excited. I'd have to get a copy. I'm gonna have to yeah, he's going to give me five copies. Um, <gasps> yeah. Definitely have a little read. Yeah, it's a only pro- short. No, but it's still really it's, yeah. But it's like you can obviously contribute to it. Like people are going to read that. Yeah, hopefully. that's what's so exciting is people are going to read that and go, oh, well, that's interesting, and yeah. they compare like compare it to the rest. It's just a part of a whole thing that's hopefully going to shape some people's yeah perspective on this issue. And like, there's a big thing, I, I think you probably you get it in like the arts and drama and stuff, mm. like the imposter syndrome, that you feel like you're, yeah, 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 yeah. that someone's going to tap you on your shoulder and be like, oh, there's been some sort of mistake, you're yeah. not supposed to do a PhD. <laughs> so doing things like that, it feels like you're not just playing at it anymore, like yeah. you've actually got something out there that people want to, to be published. Yeah. So that's like, it's, it's like good for your confidence, because there mm. is, yeah, just have a constant thing of like, they're going to think, like, oh no, even something like my GCSE results, they're going to be like, oh, there's been a mix up. Oh. And you, you failed your GCSEs. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to take away your degree. And yeah. Like, yeah. But I've just been, like, doing a really good mm. job of looking like a PhD student, but actually, mm. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, but it's, it is amazing. I can't even imagine doing, well, I can't even imagine doing an MA, let alone, let alone a PhD. That's great. I love being at uni. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to stay here. Yeah, well, yeah that's long. a plan. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> It's so good, you just get like so much time to think about things. Yeah. Thank you so much for okay. getting down today. Let's finish the podcast. Yep. Ready? So we're going to do three sentences. Okay. The first one is the highlight of my job is. Um, that's tricky. I suppose you're in a weird, weird phase at the minute. I guess it's just when I have a conversation with someone mm. that they like yeah I can see why you're doing that yeah that's like the best the best part of it and that's happening more and more at the moment oh good so yeah just when people give you like people think what you're doing is actually really worth doing yeah that's the best part nice good one um in five years time um I'd like to have shrugged off the imposter syndrome a little bit more (laughs) um and be really enjoying teaching um yeah, and know more about law. <laughs> nice. Good. Yeah. And the final, uh, the last one is, I'm happiest when. And it doesn't have to be work-related. It can be um, whatever. I'm happiest when I'm in the garden. Nice. Because I like gardening because you have to be patient and it's very simple. And it's like the opposite of my work. Like, it's just mm. you put things in the ground and they grow. Nice. So it's like a nice release. 
Awesome. Thank you so <laughs> I said much. It like Monty Don. You said. <laughs> no, that is awesome. Thank you so much. That's okay. Thank you ever so much to Jenny for being my guest this week. It was brilliant to talk about this subject with her. Um, really fascinating. And I cannot wait to read your chapter in the new book. Thank you very much to you guys for listening and to Joshua David Bartholomew for doing our music for us. Next week is our final episode of Series 1. I'm so excited to bring our episode with Peter Heron to you. Till then, if you haven't listened to the rest of our episodes, please go back and have a listen. We've had some great guests this series. Or check us out on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or our website, haveanothercover.wordpress.com. I'll see you all next week. Bye.